Well, good evening again to you. Glad that you are here tonight to worship the Lord with us. Uh, Why don't we open up our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9 as we continue on making our way through the Scriptures, chapter by chapter, book by book. Isaiah was called to be a prophet to the southern nation of the divided kingdom of Israel, of Judah. And, of course, that was made up of the area occupying the tribal area of Judah and Benjamin consisted of uh, also the temple was right there and then the uh, the northern kingdom was they, they've been divided for about 200 years by the time Isaiah is called to be prophet so uh, Isaiah is speaking to the southern kingdom during the time of uh, King Ahaz and they are being pressured on uh, the international stage to try to come up with a solution to their hostile neighbors. Israel wasn't all that friendly to Judah, but then also Syria, Israel's northern neighbor, was also very hostile to Israel and Judah. But then all three of them had a bigger problem to worry about, and that was Assyria, which was northeast. And uh, so... You know, the old saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So Israel and Syria had tried to form alliances amongst themselves and to get Judah into that coalition so that the three of them could present a unified front against Assyria. Assyria at this time, though, had already been contacted by Judah. Judah had paid them some tribute and tried to make some arrangements ahead of time. Of course, all of this without the Lord. And the Lord is calling them to repent, and to not to look to worldly uh, calculations and the world's um, resources and, uh, and, and to ignore him and leave him out of the, the situation. So chapter 9, verse 8, the Lord begins to speak through Isaiah, and he says, The Lord sent a word against Jacob, and it has fallen on Israel. All the people will know Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria. Ephraim and Samaria are the same titles for the northern kingdom of Israel. They just happen to be just just different titles. Ephraim is a tribe up there. Samaria is kind of the area. Who say in pride and arrogance of heart, the bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. Therefore, the Lord shall set up the adversaries of resin against him and spur his enemies on the Syrians before and the Philistines behind, and they shall devour Israel with an open mouth. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Between chapter 9, verse 8, and chapter 10, verse 4, we have a section here. Um, We're going to see this verse repeated, this phrase that finishes verse 12. That phrase there, for all of this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out till. That's repeated four times. In uh, verse 12 there, verse 17, verse 21, and then uh, verse 4 of chapter 10. Uh, this section is all about the danger of not responding to the Lord when he is in the business of divinely chastening his people, of not responding, not repenting. And so uh, the northern tribes had experienced some chastening from the Lord in that Assyria had come in and reduced them a bit, had knocked down buildings, done some, you know, raiding and some 
some attacking, and um, the northern tribes had responded to that instead of examining themselves and seeing, Lord, is this a divine chastening? Let us return to you, repenting of their sin. Instead, verse 10 it says, they took a look at what had happened. The bricks had fallen down, and so this they responded, well, we can just absorb this and we'll do better. We'll build some better stuff. Uh, we'll rebuild with hewn stones. That's a higher form of construction, more you know, expensive, more elaborate. And that they, the sycamores were cut down, and the, when invading army would come in, uh, they needed resources to build their, uh, to do some of the things they needed to do. So they would just chop your trees down. And uh, so they looked around and noticed all their trees were cut down, and so that well, we'll just grow some new ones. We'll build, grow some better ones. We'll grow some cedars. And uh, that was said in, like in verse 9, is said in pride and arrogance of heart. And, you know, the idea there is that we can absorb this. Uh, we can, we can uh, just keep going on. In fact, it'll be better. You just watch. We'll, just, we'll make it better. Well, you know, the, rea- the truth is you don't have, nobody has enough resources to outlast the Lord. You don't. He has resources which you know nothing about, and he's very, very inventive. And when he comes and begins to chasten us, it is imperative that we stop and take inventory and ask the Lord, you know, what, what this is about, and respond appropriately with repentance. You know, he, he says here, he's going to bring the Syrians and the Philistines, and they're going to devour with an open mouth. Um, you know, the Lord could have made this far worse for them. But he, did, he, you know, he doesn't want to act that way towards his people. He doesn't want to act that way towards, at all towards his people. He'd much rather have a, a, a very sensitive heart in his people so that when he speaks and something needs to change, they, they respond immediately and they say, yes, Lord, and they, that sin is repented from. He, he did this because he couldn't get their, their, their attention any other way. And he only let it be this because he didn't want to go any farther. He'd hoped this would get their attention, and it didn't. And so that's why it says, um, for all this, his anger is turned away. His anger is not turned away, excuse me, but his hand is stretched out still. It's not that, don't think that they had done something, they had, but they had done something and he's just repeatedly punishing for it, for that, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't act that way. The issue is he's bringing divine chastening and they're not responding, even though it gets, he keeps having to ratchet it up higher and higher and they just keep not responding. First one is, hey, we don't, you know, we don't have to put up with this. Let's, let's rebuild. We don't have enough resources to outlast the Lord. Verse 13 says, for the people do not turn to him who strikes them, nor do they seek the Lord of hosts. Therefore, the Lord will cut off head and tail from Israel, Israel, palm branch and bulrush in one day. The elder and honorable, he is the head. The prophet who teaches lies, he is the tail. For the leaders of this people cause them to err, and those who are led by them are destroyed. Therefore, the Lord will have no joy in their young men, nor have mercy on their fatherless and widows. For everyone is a hypocrite and an evildoer. Every mouth speaks folly. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Here's a second one. There'll be four of these sections, right? We pointed out already. This one is that the leadership is going the wrong way, and that's the way they like it. It says he's going to cut off the leadership, 
And he talks about the elder and honorable prophet, prophet who teaches lies. The leaders of this people cause them to err, and those who are led by them are destroyed. Um, you know, that's, that says a couple of things. I think it says that the people get what they want in leadership in a lot of ways, right? In a country, the leaders are just a reflection of the people. They said everybody, everyone is a hypocrite and an evildoer, and every mouth speaks folly. Uh, there's a couple of things to notice here, I guess. Uh, first, we want to be sensitive to something that's going to happen. We're going to notice some of the symbolism right away that he's using. He likens people, starts likening people to vegetation of various sorts. Palm branch and bulrush in one day. You know, what's that about? Is the Lord's going to be doing some gardening? Uh, well, you know, I don't know. Maybe there will be some some agricultural stomped flat or something, but... We're going to see that he's going to start talking about people in terms of trees and plants. And I I do that because we're going to get to a text later where he's going to plainly camp out on that. You know, the people get what they want in leadership. You know, it implies here in verse 16, 15, 16, that the people who are subject to leadership have a responsibility to examine where they are being led by that leadership and to object to it if that leadership is leading them astray. That's the whole thing here. They weren't objecting. They liked it. And so the consequences were the Lord had no joy in their young men, nor have mercy on their fatherless and widows. Um, there's going to be excess poverty. There's going to be uh, excess social problems. Again, symptoms of not responding, not repenting to divine chastening. Let's go to the next one. It says, For wickedness burns as the fire, and it shall devour the briars and the thorns, and kindle in the thickets of the forest. They shall mount up like rising smoke through the wrath of the Lord of hosts. The land is burned up, and all the people shall be as fuel for the fire. No man shall spare his brother, and he shall snatch on the right hand and be hungry. He shall devour on the left hand and not be satisfied. Every man shall eat the flesh of his own arm, yuck, Amasa, and shall devour Ephraim, and Ephraim and Amasa, together they shall be against Judah. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Here's a third one. And that is, as sin and lack of repentance continues to go forward, there's an internal division. There's, um, they begin to eat each other, you know, and that's symbolism. And uh, it says there, uh, Manasseh devours Ephraim, Ephraim, Manasseh, and they're all fighting against Judah too. These are the tribes of Israel all fighting each other. And those are always hallmarks of low points. Uh, it happened back in the book of uh, Judges, right? You go to the book of Judges and it starts off, they're just, just after the leadership of Joshua. They seem to be at a high point. They're in the land, they're conquering, but you get to the end of the book of Judges and they're wiping each other out. Uh, and it's because of sin. Sin is gone unrepented. As the Lord is correcting people, they just stopped responding, or they're they only shallowly, superficially turning for the ease of pain. You know, just take the pain off. And as soon as that was released, well, they went back to their old sin. There's other, other um, things to note in this section here, this third section. Wickedness burns as the fire. Wickedness always destroys. I know it gets sold as enlightened living and civil rights and 
how is it couched today in, in academia, cultural relevancy, sensitivity, things like that. Wickedness always burns. It shall devour. And then here's all this vegetation terminology. I think this is symbolic of different types of people. Briars, thorns, there's a forest. People shall be as fuel for the fire. Despite all that you know, a society would say about having an enlightened position and we're more advanced than that, wickedness destroys. It is not good for people. You know, sin isn't bad because the Lord says it is. The Lord says it's bad because it is bad. There's a difference there. You understand that sin always destroys. The Lord just doesn't say, don't do this, because he wants us to have, you know, 300 pages of commands or something in there. He, he warns us away from wickedness because wickedness destroys and it kills and it robs us and leaves us dead. And so he, he doesn't want us to go there. When a society gets to the point where, where it now begins to uh, take a different stand than that and begins to say, no, this is, this is enlightenment. This is, a, this is a, um, culturally relevant and we need to acknowledge this. Then it's, you're saying something very different from what the Lord says. Guess who's wrong? Society is. Then the number four starts in chapter 10, verse 1. Woe to those who decree unrighteous decrees, who write misfortune when they, which they have prescribed, to rob the needy of justice, to take what is right from the poor of my people, that widows may be prey, and that they may rob the fatherless. What will you do in the day of punishment and in the desolation which will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help? And where will you leave your glory? Without me they shall bow down among the prisoners, and they shall fall among the slain. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Here's the fourth one. Um, it says, Woe to those who decree unrighteous decrees and rob the needy of justice are uh, in an advanced state of corruption when, um, when government is lost to sin and corruption. Look, um, you know, the, the origins of government go back to Genesis chapter 10, and the Lord implements uh, governments and sanctions uh, a divine institution government on amongst men so that they can restrain evil. And, um, you know, there's, there's only a few divine institutions on the earth that way. There's government, there's marriage, there's family, and then there's the church. And um, when, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a hallmark of a society in advanced state of decay, when the when the institutions of government, you know, there's various institutions of government. Our own founders went to the Bible for for what they thought would be a good model of government. When they said the Lord in Isaiah, it says this, or is it Jeremiah? I had it, and it's in my mind. I can't tell you which one it was now. It says the Lord is our lawgiver, our judge, and our king. And so the founders saw aha three form three um, divisions within government. You need a somebody to make the laws. You, and then you need that separated from those who would uh, judge the laws. 
and then those who would enforce the laws, the king. And, um, you know, they, have, they each have their own, their, their own important role. Um, the, the justice system is kind of like an immune system in some ways because it's supposed to point out what is wrong and get rid of it by punishing evil. And just like your body, when your body can't tell the good from the evil, you're in trouble. Um, and the same thing with, with the culture or society. When the society can no longer tell what is good and evil, then it's, it's, in, it's in grave state. And uh, uh, here in chapter 10, this one, they had lost, um, they, they had lost that. They were, they were decreeing unrighteous decrees, passing laws about unrighteous things. They're sanctioning evil. And uh, they robbed the needy of justice. The justice system no longer identified what was evil and eliminated and punish it. Um, you know, so, so what do you do when you're faced with that kind of of uh, decline in a culture, in a nation. Well, again, what, what do we have? we got government, marriage, family, church. When the government starts to show signs of this kind of corruption, we got to strengthen what remains. Your marriage, your family, and your church. Um, and so, um, you know, I... I, I, I see parallels between this this time of Israel and what's going on in our country. I'm not saying that America is equivalent to Israel in any way, with covenants or anything like that. I'm just saying that there is there is a way in which the decline of Israel, I think, would feel familiar to us. You know, there was a time when I think uh, those who... Uh, had a godly outlook on life, were in the majority in Israel, as it was sometime in, in America. You know, I'm, I'm not, I wasn't around for the founding. I couldn't tell you about it. You can get every perspective you want uh, on the founding of America. Some will say, yes, it was founded by godly men. And some say, no, they were all New Agers and uh, playing the game. And, um, um, but here we are, and... Um, yeah, in some ways, I think there's there's some ways in which it feels the same. You know, there's there's a government supposed to to identify evil and get rid of it. And uh, you know, our boy, you don't need to go very far in our culture before you see that. <laughs> I'm not sure our justice system can identify what is evil anymore. Um, on top of that, too, we're beginning to grant the status of civil rights to things that were classically seen as evil and and destructive and perversions. And uh, that's a hallmark that, you know, somewhere along the line, a threshold, I think, has been crossed in that, just like it was, you know, just like it was in Israel, I think sometime they, uh, you know, if you added up all the people who wanted to follow the Lord and added up all the people who were kind of just playing games or, or just, you know, not even playing games, just open idolaters, 
you know, early in the in the in this in the times of Israel's high points, you would have more godly than you would have unrighteous. But as time went on, the scales shifted, and somewhere there, there they were the godly were outnumbered, and um, then it was it was a threshold that they stepped across, and it was an advanced state of decline, and uh, um, I you know I. I don't. I don't know about the numbers and census things in the United States, but um, in in you know what our government is doing now, I see advanced states of corruption going on. We can't tell uh, the difference between what is right and what is wrong anymore. You know, uh, we talked about it this this last year quite a bit. Uh, you and I, when I had um, an evening or two with you, we've. Uh, granted um, same-sex marriage civil right by the highest court in the land. It's the law of the land now. Um, we talked about that. Obviously, we're not going to be having any same-sex marriages here. Same-sex marriages here. The board is dealing with that from the standpoint of legal, you know, bylaws and things like that um, to avoid unnecessary conflicts that, you know, but... Um, um, you know, what's next? I mean, from that, you can make some predictions, can't you? Um, look, do you, do, you, do you think for a moment that the homosexual agenda is going to be satisfied with this? No. Um, it's always, you know, they, they, the, put, put on your spiritual glasses and look behind the scenes. Who's motivating all that? Do you think he's going to go, oh, okay, well, we got that. We're done. No, 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 no. This kind of corruption always advances in a culture. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to guess at the way it's going to go in some ways. And uh, now that same-sex marriages have been, and I, and I say it because we're, we're looking at these passages here. Uh, now that same-sex marriages have been granted civil rights, um, I mean, I mean there's, there needs to be an adjustment time to the culture. We got used to abortion. Now we're going to get used to same-sex marriage. I think that the next thing they're going to do is outlaw um, hate speech against this new civil right. I mean, what business do you have to say what I'm doing is evil? It's a civil right. And you make me feel bad by saying that about me. And so I, I shouldn't have to endure your hate speech about my perfectly legal lifestyle. You see where that's going? It's going to be outlawed to be uh, telling people they need to repent from their homosexuality. Look, I, I don't know who this is going to. I don't know if homosexuality is a sin you struggle with. It's not what I struggle with. I struggle with different sins. We all struggle with a different type of sin. We all have places where we're battling sin. It, it, but your, your sin, if you've you're got a homosexual desire in you, is no different from any other type of sin. It just needs to be repented from. Same as bank robbery. Maybe bank robbery is your thing. I don't I can tell you what bank I'm going to. I, I don't want to. But, um, look, um, you know, once once I think, once... The culture gets used to the same-sex civil right. It's going to be a, 
uh, just in an election cycle or two before they make it hate speech to say that's a sin. Um, Already, I think the lines are being drawn within the big banner of what's called Christianity. There's going to be a lot of churches, churches, I use that to make fingers, these are quotes, churches that will agree to that and, and cave in and acquiesce to that, and there will be a minority of churches that don't, that say, no, that's a sin, that hold fast. You know, the lawmakers will get their support, and the homosexual agenda will get their support from those other churches. And, uh, you know, after that, I, I'm, I'm guessing they'll probably come after this, you know, the tax-exempt status and stuff like that. I think that's just an election cycle or two away. I don't know. Don't, you know. Okay, so enough sidetrack for today, tonight, huh? Let's keep going. Um, the dangers of not responding, not repenting to divine chastening, those four sections. Now, is, uh, Isaiah has been sent to speak to uh, Judah, but um, he's also going to have a word for Assyria here from chapter 10, verse 5, through the end of chapter uh, 10. Uh, this is all going to be a word to Assyria. Now, I don't know if Assyria would ever read this, but I think that God's own people uh, have a right to, to see what the Lord is doing, and the faithful need to see what the Lord is doing so that they can, uh, again, be strengthened in faith, know what the Lord is doing, and hear about his promises towards them in the midst of what would otherwise look like a big calamity. So, Chapter 10, verse 5, Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, and the staff in whose hand is my indignation. I will send him against an ungodly nation, and against the people of my wrath, I will, I will give him charge, talking about using Assyria to punish, to chastise, judge uh, both Israel, the northern, and Judah, the southern kingdoms. I will give him charge to seize the spoil, to take the prey, and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. Yet he does not mean so, nor does his heart think so, but it is in his heart to destroy and cut off not a few nations. For he says, again, these are the thoughts that are being revealed by the Lord of the leadership of Assyria and in their arrogance not recognizing that the Lord has um, made this um, this judgment, strengthen them so that nobody can stand against them. They don't think it that way. He says, verse 8, Are not my princes altogether kings? Is not Kalno like Karshemish? Is not Hamath like Arpad? Is not Samaria like Damascus? In other words, um, First, he says, my prince is altogether like kings. You know, he says, my uh, low-level um, executives are, you know, are big and bad and better than anything you could present in your country are, are like kings. That's pretty arrogant. And then uh, all these cities here, Kalno, Karshmish, Harthmuth, Arpeda, Samaria, Damascus, cities that um, uh, are, he likens them all to be exactly the same. We're just going to mow them down. 
As my hand has found the kingdom of the idols whose carved images excelled those of Jerusalem and Samaria, as I, as I have done to Samaria and her idols, I shall I not do also to Jerusalem and her idols? Again, a whole lot of spiritual ignorance. He sees that all these cities and all these areas that have been conquered by him, Count Alcarnshmish, Harthmuth, Samaria, Damascus, they all had their localized deities that offered no help when Assyria came down, right? They were just bowling pins to knock over. And so he, he arrogantly thinks that Jerusalem and the God of the Jews is exactly the same, and he's going he's gonna to get a rude awakening. Um, as he says, I'm just going to do the same thing to Jerusalem and her idols. No, you're not. And... Um, so, verse 12, Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Lord has performed all his work on Mount Zion and Jerusalem, that he will say, I will punish the fruit of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his haughty looks. For he says, By the strength of my hand I have done it, and by my wisdom, for I am prudent. Again, these are the thoughts being revealed by the Lord that are going on in the heart and mind of Assyria. Also, I have removed the boundaries of the people and have robbed their treasuries. So I have put down the inhabitants like a valiant man. My hand has found like a nest the riches of the people. As one gathers eggs that are left, I have gathered all the earth. And there was no one who moved his wing nor opened his mouth with even a peep. And so they're into the little marshmallow treats there. Any peeps there? No. 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 Verse 15, shall the, and then here's the Lord reflecting on this arrogance. Um, he says this, verse 15, shall the axe boast itself against him who chops with it, or shall the saw exalt itself against him who saws with it? Okay, just a side note. Continue to notice the symbolism of people as trees. Axes, trees, saws. Okay, but um, keep going. As if a rod could wield itself against those who lift it up, or as if a staff could lift up, as if it were, as if it were not wood. Wood. Um. So the 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 spiritual reality again is that the Lord had uh, so. Uh, empowered Assyria so that he that the nation of Assyria would do the things um, that the Lord would want done. However, they're going farther than what the Lord had in mind. And um, so in their arrogance and in their overstepping of what, in their ignorance of what the Lord has sent them to do, they're going to be punished. Verse 16, Therefore the Lord, the Lord of hosts, will send leanness among his fat ones, and under his glory he will kindle a burning like the burning of a fire. So the light of Israel will be for a fire, and his holy one for a flame, and it will burn and devour his thorns and briars in one day. And it will consume the glory of his forest and of his fruitful field. Uh, both soul and body, and they will be as when a sick man wastes away. 
then the rest of the trees of his forest will be so few in number that a child may write them. Again, we're being sensitive to the forest imagery. But his, his imagery right there is saying, okay, they're going to come in and they're going to they're gonna go all the way right down to where I want them to go and they're not going to get an inch beyond what I want them to do. At that point, I'm going to punish them. And it's all over for them. And of course, we know that Second Kings tells us that um, when Assyria came down, the time of Hezekiah to uh, lay siege to the city of Jerusalem, and we'll read about it in Isaiah 37, 38, that you know, for all his boasting and all his uh, uh, trash talk uh, there around the, the gates of Jerusalem, an angel came by the Lord. We get that spiritual behind-the-scenes look, uh, came down and, and killed 185,000 Assyrians in one night. And that was a huge blow to the military of Assyria, to lose 185,000 troops. And so the leader apparently did, was not killed, and there must have been some, some uh, small uh, contingent of forces that made their way back up, returning to Assyria, and uh, that was the end of Assyria's advance in a lot of ways. And um, um, again, you know, I, I think there's a, in verse 15, there's a good lesson for us in that um, the imagery is, you know, you go into your garage and there's your favorite tool, uh, your bench grinder or your, uh, you know, 16 ounce uh, hammer, frame and hammer or whatever your wood chisels, um, you pick them up and you use them and then you put them down and you examine your work and then you turn back and you look and the chisel's going, wow, I did a good job there, didn't I? It's standing up, it's taking a bow. It would be ridiculous. Uh, the tools are only as good as the one using them and uh, they have no power in and of themselves. But they get used from time to time for what they are designed for and what they what the Lord has or what the what the, the user has a delight to use them in. I think that's a good that's a good lesson for us who want to be used by the Lord and to recognize that uh, the Lord wants to use us, but we should not be congratulating ourselves for what the Lord might do through us. And we be 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 very sensitive to being sure that that we give the glory to the Lord and not to, to ourselves. And that's a trap people fall into, right? Um, is to touch the glory. It's not ours. It belongs to the Lord. Where he uses you in somebody's life to lead them to the Lord, or he uses you in the Sunday school, or he uses you to minister to shut-ins or hospital visits or bring food to somebody, and they get blessed, and, and they're thankful to the Lord, or whatever we be sure that we just thank the Lord for using us and having that privilege of being something that he wanted to use there. He doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us. He delights to use us. Um, and he wants to reward us for that too, right? That's the funny part, is he'll use us and he'll, he'll do the work through us and won't have anything to do with us, and then he'll reward us for it. How's that for a great setup? Man, that's awesome. But we got to be sure that we don't take the glory but that we and, and and you know that's a temptation in everybody who who serves the lord is people want to people want to tell you 
how great you are, how wonderfully they were blessed by your ministry. It's a tendency in everybody's flesh to say, yes, I am special, aren't I? Yeah, that's... Uh, we, we, we need to be open and honest before the Lord in our times of prayer and say, look, Lord, there's parts of me that really loves the attention from people. Take that away from me, Lord. I, I don't want it. And uh, so we just be sensitive as the Lord uses us. We thank him and we be sure to give him the glory. And so um, he goes on also talking to Assyria, verse 20, says, It shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel, as such as escaped the house of Jacob, will never again depend on him who defeated them, but will depend upon the Lord of hosts, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. The remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. For though uh, your people, O Israel, be as the sand of the sea, a remnant of them will return. The destruction decreed shall overflow with righteousness, for the Lord God of hosts will make a determined end in the midst of all the land. Um, now this would be a good word, right, to those who had remained faithful to the Lord, that there would be a remnant that, that the Lord sees that he's going to protect and he's going to bring back. And uh, though there's a lot of people, you know, the remnant just means there's a small core of, of people that are faithful. And um, um, at the end of his divine chastening, here's, here's what the result will be. They will never again depend on them who defeated them. That's what they were doing. They were making these coalitions with Assyria to try to have, you know, get the, get the pressure off of, of them from Assyria and uh, Israel instead of looking to the Lord. Well, they're making a coalition to them. They're depending on them, but eventually Assyria is going to come down and wipe them out. And they won't do that again. And um, notice, I, th I think verse, the end of verse 22 is important. The destruction decreed shall overflow with righteousness. Um, everything that the Lord is doing in the midst of that uh, is righteous, what the Lord is doing and how he is going to uh, see to it that it's perfectly just and fair when all is said and done. And there, there might be times when you think that's not right, but we don't see it as thoroughly as he sees it, and we don't see beyond this either. So, um, yeah, Syria's going to come down and be bad, but they're going to get theirs, and um, the Lord's going to see to it that it is that everything that's done is perfectly righteous when all is said and done. Verse 24, Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, do not be afraid of the Assyrian. He shall strike you with a rod and lift up his staff against you in the manner of Egypt. Eh, that's kind of funny. Uh, he shall strike you with a rod and lift up his staff. Rod and staff are implements of a shepherd, right? It's kind of funny that he would use that imagery here. For yet a little while, and the indignation will cease as my anger in their destruction. And the Lord of hosts will stir up a scourge for him like the slaughter of Midian at the rock of Oreb. As his rod was on the sea, so will he lift it up in the manner of Egypt. Um, 
he talks about, again, assuring the faithful. Syria is going to be wiped out, and he, he likens um, what's going to happen to what happened with Gideon and the Midianites uh, during, the, during the book of Judges when their uh, victory was so complete and so total uh, it's, it's constantly referred to as a time when it was plainly the Lord. Remember, um, they, they, he couldn't, or the Lord couldn't send in all the thousands of people. He had to whittle it down to be such a small number that, that uh, Israel would be ref, uh, forced to say, okay, that was completely the Lord. And um, so that's constantly a benchmark that's referred to in the, in the time of, of uh, the Lord working for uh, Israel. And it shall come to pass on that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck, and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. Isn't that interesting? Um, The Lord is, you know, the the Assyrians' view was that, oh, yeah, Jerusalem, Samaria, they're all just the same as everybody else. They're all just these gods that, you know, my God is bigger than all of them, and I'm just going to mow them down like grass. But the anointing oil, you're going to be, it says, the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. And that's got to do, you know, the anointing oil is something that was used to to sanction the priesthood and um, and to, to sanctify them and consecrate them to the Lord. And it was a symbol of the Holy Spirit being upon them. And um, I just think that's a beautiful picture of the reality that these that of the Lord saying, "You are my people, despite all that is going on here. Still, you belong to me, and nobody touches you without my permission." It's a good thing to remember when we go through times of uh, of difficulty. Verse twenty-eight: He has come to Aeth. He has passed Migron. At Michmash, he has attended to his equipment. They have gone along the ridge. They have taken up lodging at Geba. Uh, Geba, Rama is afraid. Gibeah of Saul has fled. Lift up your voice, O daughter of Galim. Cause it to be heard as far as Laish. O poor Anathoth. Madmena has fled. The inhabitants of Gebim seek refuge. As yet he will remain at Nob that day. He will shake his fist at the mount of the daughter of Zion, the hill of Jerusalem. Uh, again, he goes back to um, predicting just how Assyria will come down. These are all cities that progressively moves farther south and then get right up to... Uh, Nob is the last city, really, kind of you get to before you get to the city of Jerusalem. And then he's going to be stand there, again, as we see in the narratives of Second Kings and and uh, uh, Isaiah, the mid-chapters there, that he stands there and shakes his fist at the daughter of Zion, Jerusalem. Behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, will lop off the bow with terror. Those of high stature will be hewn down, and the haughty will be humbled. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with iron, and Lebanon will fall by the, by the mighty one. Again, it's kind of it's kind of jumping between the spiritual viewpoint and the material viewpoint, and it switches between those pretty quick. There's the uh, spiritual viewpoint of the Lord using Assyria 
and the and they are empowered to go and do his work. But there's the spiritual, uh, there's the material view of like they get the list just like he's marching over everybody, and then you get you know he's marching down south right up to Jerusalem. Looks like it's about to go that far, and he's going to kill everybody. And then he says the Lord shows up there in verse 33 and 34. And he said, it'll be as easy as you going out and trimming your bushes. You just go out there at the pair and clip, 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 clip. And uh, again, there's the symbolism of the forest and trees being chopped down. You know, for the Lord, it's nothing to do that, right? I think it's a good image. You know, you got to be sensitive to some of that imagery of men as trees and stuff like that. You shouldn't be unaware of it. If you've been through the Bible in any mount, you know that this, this kind of imagery shows up in the scriptures quite frequently. You can think of famous passages where this shows up, like you know the passage in Psalm, we sing it, then all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Trees have hands? No, but people do. <laughs> and then remember, remember the famous Daniel chapter 4 vision? Nebuchadnezzar gives his uh, testimony. He saw himself in his dream as a tree. Yes, the biggest, tallest tree. And then when you get to the New Testament, even Jesus, I think he deliberately does something to reinforce this. When he heals a guy who's blind, touches his eyes, makes him open his eyes and say, what do you see? And the guy says, I see men as trees walking. That's kind of a funny thing. I've never known Jesus to do that partway, but he does. And then he heals them completely. Just be sensitive to that. We will stand and we'll finish there. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you give us those glimpses behind the scenes so we can understand your faithfulness and your goodness and your intent of love and kindness and mercy towards those who follow you. We thank you, Lord. If you want to use us, we would be glad to be seeing you glorified in our lives because we love you and we love what you've done for us. Thank you, Lord. Keep us safe this New Year's and bring us back together next year. Thank you, Lord. We love you and we pray in your name. Amen.